Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to tackle Venom, Let There Be Carnage, a film, Matt, that I was, I'll be generous and say underwhelmed with when the first one came around. I believe, too, you were not exactly the hugest fan of the first Venom film. Is that accurate? Yeah, I was not. I did not particularly like it at all. And you're a big Spider-Man guy, too, so. I mean, Matt's the kind of guy who will correct you if you spell Spider-Man without a hyphen. Like, that's how <laughs> into it he is. And then our body horror marathon continues with Tokyo Gore Police, which is a movie. And we'll tell you what's coming up on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then finally, it'll be the return of everybody's fill-in-the-blank game, TFR Libs. But I also may share a few words about uh, Titan, Titan, the uh, French film, the latest movie from Julia Darkenau, who released Raw, which is a great little horror film that I believe is on Netflix right now that you can check out. So all that and more. Let's start everything off, though, with a clip from the family film of possibly our generation. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. This is about me wanting to live without you, whining in my ear all the time about eating bad guys or, like, nagging me about Anne or destroying my place or destroying my life. Do you know how lucky you are that I chose you? You chose me? Buddy, I'm the only person that took you in when your friends kicked you off the planet Ming Mong because you are a reject. You are a pariah. Need to protection my ass. You couldn't protect anything. You are useless. You can get a job down here cleaning toilets. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. Please let me fix it. How about it? So I can bring it again. <laughs> Matt, you know, I saw on the film Twitters that Venom 2 is very much in the vein of Evil Dead 2, and that is certainly a statement. Matt, what is Venom, Let There Be Carnage, all about? So, Eddie Brock gets his reputation back after um, writing a, a piece about serial killer Cletus Cassidy, played by Woody Harrelson. Um, he goes to see Cletus Cassidy on death row. They get into a bit of a scuffle, and um, somehow Cletus gets the a version of the of the symbiote and uh, goes on a rampage and it's up to eddie brock to stop them great now that's, i mean it's that's, about it's about it's about what you would expect yeah now that's basically it so it just occurred to me who played shriek in this film i had no idea it was naomi harris when i was watching the movie i recognized her but i couldn't put place the face she's she's basically she's the new money penny for the Bond fans oh, okay. out there. Okay. So that's, you know, for people like me. All right. Matt, Venom Let There Be Carnage is supposed to really just crank it up to 11, just to be kind of crazy, off-the-hook, comic booky fun, as I had said earlier, like an Evil Dead 2 version of a comic book movie where everything is just off-the-wall bonkers. And... Does it succeed in doing that? Have we elevated the Venom franchise? Are you now excited? I mean, they certainly turned it up to 11, but I don't know if it, the, if it elevated it at all. All the things that I didn't like about the first film are just amplified here. I can't stand the voice of Venom, the symbiote, the constant like yelling. Um, it does, 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 does nothing for me at all throughout the whole thing. It's not funny. It tries to be funny, but it's not funny in the slightest. I, like, I don't even think I cracked a smile one time while any of these quote unquote jokes are flying around on screen. Whatever they were going for, I guess they did crank it up, but I mean, it's basically like they took a terrible album and cranked it up to 11. It's, it's still a bad album. <laughs> I got to tell you, even with all the amped up hijinks, I found it just as monotonous as the first film. I'm watching this thing, Matt, and I am just waiting for it to end. And it's short. <laughs> you know, it's, it's barely over an hour and a half. And I was just like, my God. It's just so trite and so simple. And it's... And Alice, too, it's aesthetically, it's an uninspired and almost ugly film as well. I mean, there's really nothing to this thing. I think we spend far too much time with the struggling relationship between Brock and Venom than we do with Michelle Williams, who at this point, too, must be like, what am I, what am I doing with my career? I get all these awards. I mean, maybe this is just, you know, this was what buys her chalet in France. I don't know. 
But this is like an accomplished actress who's done stuff, you know, at Manchester by the Sea. Wendy and Lucy, a wonderful film. And I see her in this, and I'm like, Michelle, Booby, what are you doing? Tom Hardy, one of my favorite current working actors, who I'm I'm hoping is at least having fun. But this thing is just a slog, Matt. And then how do you underuse Woody Harrelson? Who I think can do crazy with the best of them. And I find him almost a non-presence in this film. I'm not sure what it is. Is it the script? Is this the way that 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 circus shoots the thing? I'm not sure. I just it was a slog from beginning to end. What do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't really have much more to add. I mean, I feel like Harrelson has just kind of got kind of gave me the kind of uh, Bruce Willis getting a paycheck kind of vibe, like just kind of phoning it in the whole time. Um, and I just, I mean, I'm a fan of these comics, but I never thought Venom was that interesting of a character, especially when he went out on his own kind of thing. There's just not much there. I mean, there's really not much there and it doesn't really give me a lot of faith if, and when Sony gets control of Spider-Man back. Well, um, I'm sorry, be careful, because I do want to talk about that, particularly the teaser at the end, but continue. Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, the hype around it, I think, is unwarranted. I don't think it's particularly good. I don't think it's a good example of a Spider-Man film or a comic film in general. Um, you've got much, much better examples out there. We've got more that are coming out by the end of the year, um, a new Spider-Man film by December. So I don't see any reason for anybody to go out and watch this who hasn't already done so. I would rather watch Amazing Spider-Man 2 than this. Wow. I mean, it, it felt it exists to me only as product. It's I think I used this once before in another film. I don't remember what it was, though, but it's like DLC for the Venom film. It's just like, it's like, all right, here's the next chapter for, you know, $10. So you want to keep playing. And it's really, it felt that kind of just gossamer thin to me. The it just is not interesting. And it's, they try to introduce these kind of concepts about, you know, the family relationship between Brock and Venom and then Venom and Carnage, you know, and what it really means to bond with somebody and to find the one you're supposed to be with and all this kind of stuff. And it, it is just bad. It's bad. Listen, man, this is the future of Sony's Spider Expanded Universe, Spider-Man Expanded Universe. I want no part of it. I don't want, if this is what we're looking down at, once and if Spider-Man reverts back to Sony proper, Ugh. I don't even want to think about it. So, one last thing. You have a mid-credits sequence in this film. And I'm going to tell you right now, Matt, and I'm curious if you agree with me. It is the best thing about this film. It outshines everything that comes before it. And I'm happy to talk about it because I don't give a GD about spoiling this thing. You want to yeah, chat about it at all? or? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so why don't you lay on the folks what it is, what happens? So at the end of the film, Venom and Eddie have kind of come to a truce and they've come to accept they, they need each other, that, they, you know, that they're, they're a partnership. But they have to go on the run now because people know, I guess, who they are. And you can only bite off the heads of so many people. And without something bad happening. So they're on the beach or something happens. And all of a sudden, this weird shimmer thing happens. And they wake up in a hotel room, some other guy's hotel room. The TV is on. And all of a sudden, you see uh, J.K. Simmons is J.J. Jameson talking about the menace of Spider-Man and reveals that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. So Venom has been, tra been transported into... The MCU. Now, I don't know what Earth this is. Matt, do we know what the MCU Earth takes place on? Um, if they've told us, I don't know what it is. Fair enough. But So now we have brought Venom in to, I'm just going to, I'll just say MCU proper. And Venom sees Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and basically is like, oh, that's my kind of guy or something like that. And wants to go meet him. And uh, that's basically the end of that clip. What do you think of it? Yeah, I was a little underwhelmed. I mean, I remember everybody talking about this kind of major mid credit sequence. So that's all I could figure that it was based off of um, this multiverse thing that seems to be going towards for the new Spider-Man film. And I think there's even like a cut 
or at least a flash in the trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home where it looks like he's running in a black suit or something like that. So um, I think the thought was Venom. But it's like, how do you reconcile the two things? I mean, Venom is not has never really had a relationship with Spider-Man. That's kind of like his whole deal. Um, but in this version of it, like he's never met him and they try and I think kind of retcon it by saying, oh, we're like a hive mind and like implying that some other version of a symbiote has dealt with uh, Spider-Man. Maybe they're going to refer back to Topher Grace's version of Venom. I don't know. I'm curious to see how they all pull it off, but just by how poor the product is with Venom, I'm not exactly excited about it. That's one thing I've never been able to wrap my head around. So I grew up reading comics when Venom first appeared. In fact, I know, I don't know how many of you geeks know this, Venom showed up actually in a Web of Spider-Man comic like months, if not a year before he showed up in Amazing Spider-Man. So right. Todd McFarlane is the one who designed the suit, the costume, or the, the you know the character design, sort of. I mean, all I did was give him eyes and a big toothy grin, right, with the tongue. The costume has already been designed. Was it Ron Friends who came up with the black suit? Anyway, so there's a Web of Spider-Man issue where it's just like it's like a little toss-away scene at the end of one of the comics where this guy comes up behind Spider-Man and or behind Peter Parker and pushes him into the subway, and he's able to jump out of the out of the way in time. But he's like, "What the hell? That didn't set off my spider sense. What happened there?" Because OG days, because of the previous relationship the symbiote was able to kind of dampen the spider sense so he wouldn't see Peter wouldn't see him coming. But in the amazing Spider-Man, I think it's 298, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, is when Venom fully shows up for the first time. Right. And the way it's portrayed in the comic is that he sexually assaults Mary Jane. I'm pretty sure that's what happens. Right. So the fact that the, he takes this turn, I mean, so the whole story, right, is he's, he's the he's the reporter that what he 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 stole a story or he, um, what's he call it? He, he stole some content from somebody. Plagiarized. He plagiarized. Thank you. God, boy, I got to start having some medications or start taking some, <laughs> some, what is it? Some pudding or something, whatever it is Jamie Lee Curtis is doing. But Prevagen, that's what I need. So, but he's a bad guy. All right. So it's, it's Web of Spider-Man 1. When the costume finally gets defeated by Spidey, who is in the bell tower right at the church, and it strips down, and that's when it supposedly um, attaches to and joins with Eddie Brock. Right. But he's a bad guy. I never, I guess maybe the arc in the comics, Matt, is that he eventually has some type of cloudy, dark moral compass. I'm assuming that's what happens in the comics. I stopped reading, you know, went around, he became a good guy. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. So one, Venom, you know, he he's in Marvel's ripoff version of Suicide Squad called Thunderbolts. So he's kind of one of these, for a while, he's like one of these captive, you know, forced into being a quote-unquote hero. But really a lot of it is just the the 90s kind of obsession with anti-heroes and having these kind of gritty comic characters like the Punisher being so popular. And Venom is just a product of that where basically somebody pitched hey what if venom was the lethal protector right so that's basically what it, it comes out what if he's like another punisher kind of thing and basically how they positioned it from what i remember in the comic books was eddie just gets over it they just kind of get over it they're like okay you know what i don't need to mess around with spider-man anymore you know I'll, if he if he comes and mess with me i'll go you know i'll mess him up but otherwise i'm just gonna leave him alone and that's basically a good he starts going out and doing his own thing all right i just i don't know i've always thought it was he was much better off as a villain so yeah and if we do see uh, the black suit at some point I don't want to see a black version of the spider-man suit i want to see the black ver- suit with the white kind of big yeah. spider we have never right. gotten that, and I'm really hoping we do at some point. But yeah. this, the MCU version of Spider-Man is the most, you know, what's the word? Just faithful version of the suit, you know, that I think that we've had on film so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aesthetic. But, you know, with Venom showing up, it's like in No Way Home, there's your sixth member of the Sinister Six, if that's the way it ends up playing out. Mm. Well, who are they? The original Sinister Six, right? It's Goblin... Uh, Sandman, Lizard, Electro, Dr. Octopus. Goblin was not really that much in the Sinister Six. Um, Shocker was in, was in it for most of, most of the run. 
old school, like in the 60s. Oh, Scorpion, I think was one. All right, here are the originals. Doc Ock, Electro, Craven, Mysterio, Sandman, Vulture. Right, okay. All right, so that's the OGs. So Green Goblin wasn't. Okay. Well, I guess you could get Vulture. You know, he's Michael Keaton still kicking around, so. Yeah. Steal him from Batman. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, so we I mean, to... I'm interested, I'm interested to see what they pull off, but. Yeah, no, I'm sure it'll be pretty entertaining. Matt, give me a score. Venom, there will be carnage. Man, there certainly uh, was. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give it a D. I'm not even, I don't even feel bad about that. Same. Double Ds, folks. Both Ds for Matt and I for Venom, let there be carnage. What are your thoughts? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Just a complete waste of time, really. It's, ugh. I don't understand why the people think this is a better film. I don't even think this is better than the original. I think this is worse. So, I don't get it. Maybe I'm just not hip anymore. Who knows? Just email feedback at thefirstrun.com. Show me how I'm wrong. Matt, I want to spend a couple minutes quickly, I think. Man, I don't know. And uh, talk about Tatong, which is the latest film from Julia Darkenau, who did Raw, which again, I think I said in the opening, is currently available on Netflix. A wonderful little horror film about what coming of age and discovering you're a cannibal. This film, Matt, won the Palme d'Or. is one of the most offbeat, unusual films to win that award at Cannes ever. And it's a movie, Matt, that just defies explanation i don't know if it's even really truly like reviewable it starts out as this kind of serial killer horror film that there's this woman who has this really difficult relationship with her family which is very distant from them when she was a little girl clearly her father disdains her and there's one point where they're driving in a car and she's being annoying she can some buckles her seatbelt Starts to climb around. Father reaches around to say, no, no, go back. And then they get in an accident. She ends up with a steel plate in her head after the accident. And then from there, we flash forward years, decades. And now she is kind of this semi-famous car dancer. And there's a scene where she has an intimate relationship with a car. Becomes pregnant by said car. And it goes from this just really freaky scary serial killer horror film with a they say with a killer with a very particular kink and morphs into this body horror movie and then into this really tender family drama about grief and loss it's disturbing confounding shocking sweet and for me it's like the most confounding film of the year and i and i think i may have loved it i mean the themes that are explored in this thing by Dukranau, which I'm sure I'm massacring. Right? We have we just we, we hit on family and loss, gender, the stark renderings of murder, love, and what it means to be truly loved and accepted. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, Matt. And I have to say, I, I think you should be in a theater to check this out because the visuals are stunning. As well as this truly engrossing kind of sound design and sound editing that you just I think you have to experience in that kind of format where you have the surround sound, or at least if you're home, make sure you have a nice surround system and a big ass screen and just crank that baby up. And this thing will keep you on the edge of your seat in between your squirms, moments of sheer just uncomfortability. I don't know, I can't, it's it's insane, man. And I, I absolutely loved it. I hope at some point you can uh, check it out. Much like I think when you shared your thoughts about One Cut of the Dead. Right, Matt? You saw that, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully you can see it and we can talk about it a little more in depth. But I will tell you, man, it's insane. I gave it an A-. minus. I keep going back and forth on it. If it's going to be higher, maybe a little lower. Because I'm still trying to figure this thing out in my head. But it is quite an experience. and But it's not going to be for everybody. I'll tell you that. Your casual moviegoer who's, man, oh, wow, I just saw Venom. I want to go a double feature. What should I do next? This I don't think this is the movie for you. Wow. So you don't think that the movie where a woman has relations with a car has got broad appeal? That's shocking to me. No, yeah. Weird. Weird. So there you go. 
Check it out. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Let us know your thoughts if you've seen Tatan. I didn't have a clip for it because there are no clips online anywhere that I could find. Just the trailers, which is basically just music and then shoot scenes from the movie. So that wouldn't really do anybody any good. So there you are. Check it out there. All right, Matt. Let's go ahead and keep rolling. And let's talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, October 12th. Hey, it's my sister's birthday. Where are you going? To church. One. My boots. Hello, Agnes. Where are my boots? Yet. What? You are not yet. Not yet. Better hurry up. I've got time. I've got lots of time. Uh, you might not. That, of course, is a clip from David Lowry's The Green Knight featuring Dev Patel, whose name may be coming up a little later in this show. 824 is releasing a UHD of that bad bear as well as a Blu-ray. You get a Dolby Vision and a Dolby Atmos track and making of featurette and some other stuff. Matt, you're going to pick up the Green Knight? Is that a buy for you? Yeah, I think so. Once it gets to a certain price point. I think that's fair. Also coming out, one of the real surprise, I think. We enjoyed it more than we anticipated we would. Ryan Reynolds stars in Free Guy. Man, that's a quick window, huh? You get a steel book if you want from Best Buy. Target's got a digipack with two foil etched prints. Deleted and extended scenes. Gag reel. Uh, some making of featurettes as well on that one. Mike Flanagan keeps knocking out of the park. Matt, they just announced today he's doing Fall of the House of Usher for Netflix, which I cannot wait to see. His second series for Netflix, Haunting of Blind Manor, is being released with uh, some featurettes and audio commentaries, including by himself and some of the directors of the other episodes. I have not seen either of Flanagan's haunting series on Netflix. Have you? The episodic series? Yeah. Yeah. I saw the, I watched the first season of that. I haven't watched caught up with the second one. The first one was pretty good. Yeah. I got to check that out, man. I hear it's really good. Oh brother. And then I think they have extended versions on Blu-ray. So maybe I'll, I'll pick it up that way if it gets a good to a good price. Cause I'd like to see the full vision. What else coming up? Uh, they're re-releasing the uh, Friday the 13th films in a box set. Now I have the, the uh, Scream Factory version, which has all of the movies. This one is just a steelbook limited edition. has only the first eight films, basically one through Jason Takes Manhattan. But it does include the uncut version of Friday the 13th, the original. What this one does have that the Scream Factory set does not is digital copies of each of those films. So if that's what you want, well, maybe that's what you go with. But you are going to miss out on the rest of the films, right? The reboot. You're going to miss out on Freddy vs. Jason. You're going to miss out on Jason Goes to Hell. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing High Sierra, a brand new 4K restoration of that film. Gangster Roy Earl is paroled, Matt, after a lengthy prison term. However, Earl has no intention of giving up his criminal life. Scream is releasing one of Wes Craven's not-so-good movies. Deadly Friend, the brand new 2K restoration of the film from the Interpositive. A new interview with whackball Christy Swanson. And interviews as well with screenwriters, the special makeup effects artist, and more. Matt, have you ever seen Deadly Friend? I haven't, no. This is the one where Craven makes a movie about the robot, and then he turns her into this girl who, I guess, dies and took over. All I know is that it's supposed to be really, really bad. Okay. But there, it's supposed to have some really great gore effects. This is the one where she throws the basketball at the old lady you know, who threw Mama from the train and her head explodes. It's kind of a famous <laughs> scene in 80s horror. Okay. <laughs> and supposedly it has the DVD, the recent DVD cut of the film, which is the uncut version, the 2K restoration of that. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just a rumor I saw online. I actually recently bought this from uh, another supplier about six months ago because I'd always wanted to check it out. I know it was horrible. The guy had supposedly had this upscale DVD cut of the unrated version with the extra gore in it. And it was pretty dang cheap, so I bought it. It's by the same guy I got the uh, uncut Star Wars from. Okay. The Blu-rays, which look fantastic, by the way. They're the, the original versions, I say, of the Star Wars movies, not the uncut ones on Blu-ray. So, either way, of course, I bought it six months ago. Matt, have I watched it yet? Of course you haven't. I have not. Warner Archive is releasing Val Luton's d- double feature, The Ghost Ship, and then Bedlam, starring Boris Karloff. Kino Lorber is releasing a couple films, The Last Sunset featuring Rock Hudson and Kirk Douglas, 
as well as Vera Cruz featuring Gary Cooper and Burt Lancaster. Wild East Productions is releasing The Ugly Ones, also known as The Bounty Killer, Bounty Law, or The Price of a Man. Code Red is releasing another version of a Sherlock Holmes movie. This time it's The Hound of the Baskervilles, but this is a satire mat featuring Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Arrow is releasing The Snake Girl and The Silver-Haired Witch. I believe, though, this has been delayed by a week. So if you're hoping to pick this one up, you're going to have to wait an extra week. I just got a notification today that my 4K Demons set is available for pickup at Grindhouse Video down the street here in Tampa. I am so excited. I'm going to pick that up tomorrow, watch it this weekend. But I am heartbroken because Mike out of Grindhouse is leaving He is moving to Knoxville. So the store, which has been closed for over a year because of COVID, never going to reopen for me unless I make the trek to Knoxville. And I think he's not even going to reopen the store there until March. But still, it was a one of the great things about living here is having that greenhouse video mat like a quarter of a mile or half a mile away from me. And now it's going to be gone forever. It'll be my last pickup. (sighs) 4K release, a couple films coming out. Misery, the uh, Stephen King adaptation. Columbia Classics Volume 2, which includes Anatomy of a Murder, Oliver, Taxi Driver, Stripes, Sense and Sensibility, and The Social Network being released. Includes a bonus disc of 20 shorts, including a Three Stooges short. The first set, Matt, is like out of print, I think going for $1,000 at some places because some of the films in that set have not been individually released in 4K. But the big release, Matt, and I've heard nothing but bad things, is a 4K release of Inglorious Bastards. The Steelbook version too, Matt. But according to Bill Hunt over at Digital Bits, the transfer is a mess. Basically like an upscaled version of the Blu-ray, and it looks horrible. So if you were like me, looking forward to a little Quentin in, in UHD, well, maybe not quite yet. Your straight to DVD pick of the week, Mac. I'm going to go with Survive the Game. I got to do it, Matt. I committed to doing it every single week. Bruno, I am begging you to stop me, to stop this from happening. But Bruce Willis returns in Survive the Game. A man's life on his farm is interrupted when a cop and a pair of dangerous criminals show up. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Well, it's spooky season, so I decided to give out a bit of a layup and recommend um, Halloween, the original John Carper, Carpenter um, slasher film. It basically set the template for all of your slasher films to come, um, or at least uh, many of them to come in the many, in the eighties. Uh, it's available on Hoopla, Shudder. You can watch it on Fubo, AMC plus. There's a lot of places you can catch up with it. If you do happen to have any of those as well, um, I would also recommend uh, catching up with one of Chris's favorites, Halloween three season of the witch. I watched it the other day on AMC and it was, uh, uh, it was, it was fun. It it was better than I remembered it. I enjoyed it. It is a blast featuring 86 symbol Tom Atkins. (laughs) I love me some Halloween three. All right, Matt, I gotta tell you, I'm still upset that you didn't get a chance to see Tom because one of my favorite, I was looking forward to it like all week where I was going to go, Matt, I want you to tell the fine folks at home, what is the ton all about? And mm. you would have been like, uh, but that's fine. I can do some of the heavy lifting around here. Let's spend a few minutes though and talk about Tokyo Gore Police. Why not? Sounds like a fun movie. Tokyo Gore Police, Matt, a film that dares to ask the question and then blow up that question. Is there such a thing as too much? Tokyo Gore Police is about a young woman, Matt, who is a... Basically, she hunts these creatures, these monstrous creatures called engineers. She works for the Popo. And what happens is when these engineers get 
injured in some capacity, their body part that gets cut off, we'll say, morphs into some monstrous weapon. And it's her job to take them out. But there may be something far darker happening underneath the surface. Matt Google says, under the People Ask segment, is Tokyo Gore Police a good movie? Matt, is it? Um, it's a movie. It is its own thing. It, it. I don't know what it set out to accomplish, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it did accomplish what it set out to do. This is one of the crazier, cheaper, amateurish things that I've ever seen. Just the way it's framed, it's shot. It's just, it's not well done. And I think it's reached completely exceeds its grasp, but it's kind of level of ridiculousness. It's not something I've ever seen before. I would struggle to even call this a body horror. This is like a weird, weird, like sick, like cartoon that's supposed to come on at 3 a.m. Yeah, it sounds like Matt doesn't have a lot of experience with Tokyo Shock. So I think we may have to remedy that at some point, Matt. Machine Girl? Come on, mm. lots of great stuff like this. But you're right, it's like Roger Corman on Morblow with a little bit more money, and he is absolutely just something's broken in his brain. Now, it's RoboCop kind of Starship Troopers vibe, right, where they have these propaganda commercials because one of the big underlying themes is the that things have gone really to pot and we've had to privatize the police, right? Which, if that's our main message here, listen, I'm against privatization of the police too, but man, I mean, it's just, all right, enough. And the fact that when they had the reveal of our bad guy, you'd think the, is this a proper term? The gimp character being owned as a pet by the, person running everything would not have been a tip off that maybe something evil and bad is afoot here. <laughs> this is one of those things every now and then when we watch a foreign film, Matt, especially when we did our, our samurai marathon where sometimes we think that there's themes and things that we don't quite get because they may be lost in translation because we're not of that culture. We're not of that time. Not a concern here. I think at all, there may be some more deep rooted Japanese cultural icons in here. Maybe some, some classic legends and, and stories, but I don't think it matters because as you said, this film exists just to splatter. It is gross. It is over the top. It is perverse. It is, and it's really one of the few films I've seen, Matt, where it successfully ups the ante every time. Every time I think it can't get any weirder or crazier, Tokyo Gore Police slaps me in the face and dares me to keep watching. And I have to say, because of that, it's a success. I think that Yoshihiro Nishimura is doing something very specific here. And I can't say he didn't pull it off. Because this thing is an exercise in madness. Yeah, I definitely appreciated the Verhoeven um, nods to satire. I I think my favorite part were the commercials, just for how ridiculous they were. And... I don't know if I enjoyed it, but he definitely did what he set out to do. I mean, I will give him that. And there are some very creative, very disturbing, maybe not a guy I want to hang out with kind of thing, uh, stuff that's going on in this film. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's, this might be a one timer for me, not because I was so disturbed or anything like that. It's just because it didn't amuse me as much as I was hoping it was going to. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know if there's a high rewatch value for this. Maybe 14-year-old me would have been all in on this thing. Mm-hmm. But this it, it does kind of feel that way, right? Like some kind of crazy fever dream from some 14, 15-year-old kid in middle school or high school, you know, trying to come up with the freakiest thing you can think of. But it is crazy. But for what it is, it works. And I think it's a success. It's crazy. But yeah, no. I'm going to give Tokyo Gore Police a B just on the sheer strength of its madness and totally committing to everything that's happening in this thing. And just, you're really, you're just along for the ride. What do you think? Oh boy. Um, I guess, I guess I'm going to give it a C. Like I, I can't, I can't give it too high a score because I didn't really enjoy it, but I can't really 
punish it for, you know, doing what it set out to do. Fair. Good times. Okay. If you've had a chance to see Tokyo Gore Police, uh, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, it's time for TFR Libs, our fill-in-the-blank game. I talked a little bit about Dev Patel, and that will become apparent shortly as to why. The name that means excitement is back. Bond. James Bond. That girl must be very talented. Shoot up. Believe me, my interest in her is purely professional. What is this? I've had a few optional extras installed. Wherever he goes, adventure follows. Two of our men are dead. Koskoff's named you. Then I must die. Eliminate him. Kill him! for danger. He lives for the moment. He lives on the edge. Whoever she was, I must have scared the living daylights out of her. James Bond, 007, The Living Daylights. Oh, yeah. Timothy Dalton's first foray as James Bond. The first Bond film, Matt, I saw in the theater. I'll always have a fondness for Mr. Dalton. The first actor, really, I think since Connery. Maybe ever, though, that played as close to the books as possible. His Bond was lethal, of course. Something that Craig then did and just turned it up to 11. I guess it's the second time I've used that phrase this show. No time to die. Out today as of the recording of this show, Matt. 83% 83% in Rotten Tomatoes, which reminds me, we got to do the Rotten Tomatoes score game again. That was a lot of fun. Matt, the next James Bond will be blank. I guess the next James Bond, sure. Let's go with Dev Patel because I think I like that idea that you floated out there. I think it's the most interesting one that, that's been out there that I've seen so far. So I heard that uh, Lashana Lynch whose character's name is Nomi name is 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 007 in this after this. Ah. So I I don't uh I don't think that it's weird. That's weird that they would have a James Bond who's not 007. So are do you think that they're kind of leaning into that it's not going to be James Bond, it's going to be 007 going forward? So that that's listen, no. I think what it is so my big fear if you remember was that they're going to make just James Bond be a code name going forward. So anybody could be James Bond, 007. Now, this reveal makes me feel better about that theory that I may be, hopefully, that I'm wrong. But clearly, by the end of Spectre, he walks off with Madeline Swan, played by Elias Sado, right? So he leaves. He retires. So they give the 007 number to a new spy, played by Lashana Lynch. So... No, I don't think she's going to be because they've also said, you know, they're not going to start looking to cast the next James Bond until 2022. So they will replace James Bond. We will have a new Bond. I don't know if it's going to be a complete reboot. We're going to start again. I think they just kind of Patrick Duffy Dallas it. And then maybe he just, we just continue on with a new story, almost kind of retconning the last couple films as if they didn't happen and everything is now in place. But I like the idea of Dev Patel because you have the imperialist English angle, right? Of him then going representing the government in these kind of adventures. I, there's something fascinating to me about that. Yeah, it could be interesting. I don't know. I, the whole the whole Bond thing is all very convoluted to me. And see, I think where they messed up is making this one more of a hard set of events that are like in sequence mm. whereas before there was everything was just kind of loose and when they changed it nothing it was just like a soft reset of the status quo yeah that is curious i'm sure how that's going to work out i haven't been a big fan of them kind of making this kind of like one big arc and they're yeah. almost retconning that from the last two films to make it that, that way which i don't appreciate 
Uh, I keep going back and forth. I mean, I love the idea of Henry Cavill, but I just don't know if that's possible. I think Dev Patel's great. I think my dark horse, what I'm really rooting for is John Boyega. Mm. I think he would be great. Riz Ahmed has been mentioned. Richard Madden, Dan Stevens could be good. But the, the one I think really has a shot is a guy I wasn't really aware of until I started doing some research for this for the show. And that's, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, is Reg Jean Page. He's in just the Netflix show Bridgerton. And he's actually, yeah. what may be work against him is that supposedly he's a part of the Saint reboot that's happening right now. Okay. But if I think if they want to expand the role and not have a, just kind of keep doing what they've been doing, but bring some diversity to the role, I think he might be exactly what they're looking for. If you're not familiar with him, just Google him and look at him. He's got the look down. Absolutely. And I just, I don't know. I think he may be your your option. Though I think Dan Stevens could be really good as well. He'd have to bulk up a little bit. But I don't know. I think my heart's with Boyega, but I just don't know if that, I don't see that happening. No. Yeah. Henry Cavill would be interesting. That's for sure. Deb Patel would be interesting too. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not as, I'm not as invested in it emotionally. So I'm just mildly curious to see what happens. The next Indeed. one. Yeah. Um, all right. So I just found out that uh, Jason Blum or Bloom, he and David Gordon Green, after David Gordon Green has decided, has finished up with his Halloween soft uh, sequels, he's going to do the same for The Exorcist. Oof. So the Jason Bloom pushed Exorcist reboot will be blank. disappointing i'm gonna tell you folks i'm not the i don't think that halloween film is great that he did in fact the run of recent david gordon green films i've been underwhelmed by and from what i understand the new halloween movie has a very high body count but is not terribly good and we'll see in the next couple weeks but i don't know i'm not i'm not confident about this one what about you what do you think i mean the invisible man was good right that was a bloom house thing but dave yeah. gordon green wasn't involved with that one yeah i think part of the problem is that you're kind of building off of a sequel to something that's one of the considered one of the best horror movies ever made and like one of the few horror movies that even got recognition for its artistry mm. and you're gonna try and make something of it a sequel of it that it's not going to be a scary is it going to be more kind of typical horror, more exploitative? I don't know. I just don't know if it's going to work. I don't I don't know what would possess them to try and do this. Pun intended. <laughs> Very good. All right. Matt, let me ask you. It's spooky time. The best horror film of the past 10 years is blank. Hmm. Well, I should be taking Prevagen because my memory is a little fuzzy. But the one that immediately leaps out to me, I think, is going to be It Follows. It's probably my favorite of the horror films that I've, I've seen. I still quite enjoy that film. Yeah, that's what I'm leaning towards It Follows as well. Here's the list that I have, right, of the ones that really jump out at me. Okay. The Suspiria remake, It Follows, mm -hmm. Get Out, mm -hmm. Hereditary, Green Room, I Saw the Devil, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, The Loved Ones, The Wailing, The Invitation, St. Maud, Neon Demon, Raw, Kill List, Under the Skin, Killing of a Sacred Deer, Climax, that one's for you, Midsommar. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's basically the list I have. I would throw in Malignant now too, but I was focusing mostly from basically 2010 to 2020. No, no Witch, or was it before your cutoff? No, I think you're right. The Witch could be in there as well. Yeah. I think that's fair. You should throw that one in. You're right. So, but yeah, so out of that list too, all great films, folks. If you're looking for something great to watch, check out all of them but i would probably the it follows is the one that just is right in the sweet spot for me because it's got that retro insanely great synth score from the 80s mm -hmm. you know and it is creepy as all hell it's still this point that when i describe that movie to people when i talk about it i get goosebumps that's how yeah. effective it is so yeah i'd probably go with it follows as well yeah it's one of those i mean and again all, a lot of those movies are all very great and but these a lot of those are very different they're either kind of like uh 
the the dread that they give you is is a lot different whereas this it follows is like a like a true suspense kind of thing it kind of like kind of harkens back to those things where like you kind of get that kind of ratcheting suspense which i think i was missing from a lot of modern horror films hmm. okay so the florida project was a film that we both enjoyed immensely that's actually one of the films that chris kept bugging me to see that i actually did see at some point and he was correct <laughs> you know so i should give him the benefit of the doubt on these things that he says are good but so the next film of that creator is something called red rocket mm-hmm. and it starts uh stars simon rex who i don't know if you remember is was an ex vj from the 2000s um uh, playing an ex porn star so red rocket will be on the blank oh i'm not quite sure how to run with that yeah it will be on the list of great films for 2021 you think so i i i I don't i mean sean baker has done some really interesting films right i mean i really tangerine is fantastic florida project is wonderful you know that's i confess was the only films of him of his i've seen but I don't know. He takes these kind of off kilter subject matter, these different things and makes this really compelling cinema. And I don't know why that would be any different here. So I think I'm the only sure. thing that gives me pause is the fact that it's Simon Rex. I'm not sure how he's what kind of a performance he's going to give. And just the kind of premise of that. He plays this, uh, this ex porn star is, is a very strange premise for me. So we'll see, but you're so right. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So I don't know who Simon Rex is. I didn't watch a lot of the MTVs. So he was also known as Dirt Nasty. (laughs) And he was a former adult film star. And he rose to fame as an MTV J. But he actually did do adult films, Matt. So Oh, well there you go. Well then I then maybe I stand corrected. I, I did not know that about Simon Rex. He was in Halloween. Okay. Scary Movie Three. They made a Student Bodies remake? Son of a bitch. Yeah, I don't know. All right, Matt, here's my last one for you. Good luck with this. The best non-Empire Strikes Back sequel in the 80s is blank. Okay. So the best non-Empire Strikes Back sequel of the 80s. Here's what you're contending with, right? You have Superman 2, Aliens, Back to the Future 2, Mad Max, Rocky Force. Star Trek 2, Indian Jones and the Last Crusade. I and that's just some of them, Matt. Yeah. Um hmm. I initially was gonna say Last Crusade, because it's almost as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Almost. But I'm gonna have to say James Cameron's Aliens, which I just had a very interesting discussion on. Um, I think it's a a perfect film. Um, I adore Aliens and I think as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark and some of those other films, especially ones like Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, I still think Aliens holds a special place in my heart for me. Now that's fair. That is entirely fair. So, yeah, that's what prompted me to actually ask this question. <laughs> what if I went up against Empire, though? Empire is going to win for you, right? Yeah, I think so. I think... Uh, I think Empire is one of the best of the Star Wars movies. It's probably the best of the Star Wars movies. All right. Well, that's good. I keep going back and forth myself. I mean, The Last Crusade is absolutely wonderful. But for me, it's between Star Trek II and Aliens. And I got to go with my heart, which is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That film was so important to me as a kid growing up. I think I've told the story before where I'd put on the soundtrack record at my house and sit in my dad's recliner and reenact the scenes as Captain Kirk as if I was in, you know, the captain's chair. I love that film. So I got to go with Khan. All right. Bring us home. All right. This is my last one. So um, we're showing signs of recovery here. So. Um, with the big slate of films coming out for the rest of the year, we've got Dune, we've got Spider-Man No Way Home, The Eternals, No Time to Die, lots of big tentpole films finally coming out. The 2021 box office will be blank. 
I would say, given the returns on Venom, which are pretty good, I would say better than expected. I don't think it's it's not going to be a huge year, obviously, but I think the, the returns will be better than expected and people will feel confident going into uh, 2022. Yeah, I think uh, the box office returns are going to be comfortable. I don't think they're going to set the world on fire, but I think... Uh... I think they're going to kind of bolster confidence to moving forward. And we'll be, it'll be interesting to see how what the ripple effect is in years to come. Indeed. Yeah. I'm curious to see what happens. We're doing closer windows where things will be, you know, you basically have like four weeks, if that, and then all of a sudden it'll be unavailable, you know, on physical media or the day and days or who knows what the future is going to be. Yeah. It's going to be uh, fascinating. So good times. Those are TFR Lips, folks, for this week. Those are your fill-in-the-blanks. How would you answer those questions? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up next week, man, I can't believe it's finally here. It's been delayed how many times? But I get to finally see No Time to Die, Daniel Craig's last outing as 007, James Bond. And we'll also be discussing David Cronenberg's Rabbit as our body horror marathon continues. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. We'll read it on the air and help other people find the show. Uh, the first episode of Screen Run, my little sideshow there with the Lady Juan, I believe will hit Monday, which is the Alien Universe, the first film being Alien. Matt joined us for the Aliens discussion just last night. That will mm-hmm. be up uh, a couple weeks after that. So you can find that stuff at screenrun.fun and where I listen to all your podcasts. And that's it, Matt. So uh, why don't we go ahead, take an extended break. Everybody take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. We love you. See you soon. Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scalps. And I want my scalps. And all y'all will get me 100 Nazi scalps taken from the heads of 100 dead Nazis. Or you will die trying.